Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapak Naz. I want to welcome you to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapak Naz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapak Naz is love people loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Naz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. Well, good morning. It is, it is so good to be with you this morning and um, I've been very reflective this past week. Uh, I, I don't know if, if you've realized it by, um, usually it catches my attention when the commercials start changing on my favorite fast food places and they start advertising their fish sandwiches that were in a new season. Uh, the Christian calendar, uh, we've turned a page. Um, Advent is, is long in the rearview mirror now, and, and now we are in the season that is referred to as Lent. Um, now, we're, we're not, Walpachnaz isn't an overly liturgical church. We don't do a lot of Lent practices. Um, we don't, this is probably the first time it's even been mentioned since Ash Wednesday started last Wednesday. Um, but it's a season that we enter into as a body, not just our body, but all of Christians across the world enter into this season together. Um, Lent, like I said, started last week on, on Ash Wednesday. And, uh, and for many people, Lent is another opportunity to um, be reflective on your spiritual life. Uh, be reflective on your own spiritual development. How are, you, how are you tending to yourself, your spiritual needs? What practices do you have in place that allow you to draw close to God? What practices do you have in place that distract you from God, that keep you away from God? What things in your life are are things that just cause you to move further from him. For centuries, Christians have been celebrating this, this Lenten season and, and Ash Wednesday. And, uh, but for me, not growing up in church, a church that celebrated it, I remember being very confused, especially by Ash Wednesday. Um, the whole practice, if you're familiar with it, of uh, going to a service and then walking up to a priest and and getting ashes put on your forehead in the shape of a cross, it was very confusing to me. I remember thinking as a child how strange that is. Now, I was also a weird little boy. I didn't like to get dirty. So I didn't like having mud on me. I didn't like being wet. I didn't like, I didn't like any of that stuff. Um, so that, the whole idea of that was like, why would you purposely put dirt on your forehead? Um, and so it took me a while. In fact, it wasn't until college that I began to unravel some of the uh, more theological things that go along with it, the purpose and the practice behind it. Because here again, I didn't grow up in a church that practiced it. Um, and so I didn't have the fortune of a, of a body that encouraged me and taught me about it. And so I had to learn it later in life on my own. Um, and so as I began to dig into it and I began to understand it a little bit better, I, I began to appreciate some of the things that the Lenten season allows us to reflect on. Some of the, the ideas that are present in the ash ceremony, um, from dust we were formed, Genesis, when God created man, he created it out of dirt, dust. And from dust we will return, where our lives are, are mortal. 
Our bodies are not immortal. We don't last forever. We're, we're temporary. And so in that, you reflect on your life of mortality versus the life of Christ and his immortality. And you realize your position in life a little bit. You realize that, that we're just a, a, a blip on the grand scheme of things. That it, even if you live to be 103 and get your name on the, on the um, picture on the Smucker's can on the Today Show, which is a goal of mine, by the way. I, I really want to be on the Smucker's show on the Today Show. And people my age are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. But some of you folks know what I'm talking about. Um, that's a goal. I just want to be on a Smucker's jar. But anyway, uh, it's a reflective time. But, but as I thought more and more about Ash Wednesday, and as I continue to think about Ash Wednesday, I, and, and like I said, I don't want to discredit it at all, and I don't want to discredit Lent. Many of you probably have practices that you've put in place during the Lenten season that does help you grow spiritually. And to that I say praise the Lord. So I don't mean to discredit that by any means. So don't hear me saying that. But as I was reflective on it, for me, it, I began to think, what might it be missing? Or what aspect of life is it not fully encompassing? And so I began to think about, well, I, don't, I really don't want to reflect more on death than I want to reflect on life. I want to reflect on what Christ has to give more than what the end looks like. Uh, what, what am I supposed to do today? What is my life supposed to look like today? Uh, and so that's just some of, some of what's going on in my head um, as I've processed and tried to grow and understand this, that, that maybe some of you grew up with it, and you have a, probably a far better understanding of the season than I do, um, as I've tried to understand it as an adult a little bit better. Um, but what breaks my heart is when Christians don't allow God to use them and their life completely. That, that for so many of us, and I'm not saying this is a dig necessarily against Lent, this is where my brain went, but um, for so many of us, we look at our life as a Christian about where we end up. We look at it like it's all about whether you're going to the good place or you're going to the bad place. And as long as you've done the right couple things and you get to go to the good place, then you're all good to go. And whatever you do the rest of your time on life, well, there's some bad stuff that you might do, but you're, you're going to be good to go. Don't worry about it because you've already you've said your prayer and Jesus is in your heart and you're good to go. But God wants so much more for us than just where we end up. He cares. He cares about where you end up. Believe me, he does. Jesus made it very clear that he came to save us and to give us everlasting life. But everlasting life is not just about when we die. Everlasting life is about our life today. We are to be alive today, living into eternity. Um, and so, uh, as I've reflected on that, um, I was thinking about the Lenten season. And I was thinking about what people do when they practice Lent. See, Lent comes out of a time, uh, and we reflect on a time where Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. And we're going to read a little bit about it. But Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. And during those 40 days, he was preparing for his ministry. For the next three years, he was preparing for his eventual arrest and death on the cross. 
and his resurrection. And so when we celebrate Lent, we celebrate in that time of preparation, in that time in the wilderness. But we're not supposed to stay in the wilderness. We're not supposed to stay in dissolution. We're supposed to stay or move out of that and into life and into fulfillment and into blessing. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, not just being in the wilderness, as good as it is to be in the wilderness at times, but to come out of the wilderness, to move past the wilderness. Um, so I, I just want to invite you, we're, we're going to look at a few passages of Scripture today, primarily uh, the Mark Gospel, um, chapter 1 there. Um, but we will look at those other couple ones passages as well that are on the screen. Um, but I invite you to turn to the Gospel of Mark right now, if you have your Bibles or your phones or whatever you use to read it. Um, if you've got it all memorized, that's great too. Um, you can go there in your head. Nobody? Okay. Uh, Mark chapter 1 is uh, one of the Gospels. It's the second Gospel in the New Testament. So we got Matthew, then Mark, um, then Luke and John. Um, and they all tell the same story, just slightly different ways. They tell the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Um, and so Mark's telling here um, is, is kind of interesting um, as it parallels with some of the other Gospels. So Mark chapter 1. Verses 9 through 15. Allow me to read that for us today. It says, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and he was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Immediately, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels were serving him. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Immediately, right after Jesus' baptism, right after what should have been like the highlight moment. Like, like that's the moment you capture and you replay and you sit in a while. You say, this is, we just won the championship game. We're not thinking about the next challenge at this point. We're celebrating. But immediately after Jesus was baptized, he goes into the wilderness. He goes to be challenged. He goes to be pressed. He goes to be tempted with sin by Satan himself. And so immediately, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels were serving him. You know, it's interesting. Um, so often, and as you read the New Testament, you'll see it all the time, all over the place. So often, the New Testament parallels Old Testament stories, particularly in Jesus' life. All throughout Jesus' life, there are stories where Jesus ends up doing or being in the same place or some kind of parallel to something that the Israelite people had gone through before. And in almost all those circumstances, in the Israelites' case, they did a very poor job in that circumstance. They messed up a lot. And Jesus redeems that moment, that place, that time. So... In the Israelites' case, you can read about it in Numbers 14. Uh, we're not going to turn there right now, but 
you can write a note for yourself if you want to read the story because it's it's pretty narrative. It goes on for a little while, but the Israelites had been captives in Egypt. They had been slaves in Egypt for centuries. Nobody alive knew a time when they weren't slaves. The Israelites were all slaves. They were in Egypt. And so finally, after many, many years, God sends sends Moses to them to go talk to Pharaoh to free the people. And then we get the story of the plagues. Pharaoh finally says, okay, whatever, sure, take them, get them out of here. I'm tired of dealing with you. And they begin to leave. And as they begin to leave, now remember, they're slaves. They don't have a lot of possessions, so they've got everything they own on their backs, essentially. And as they begin to leave, they're walking across and uh, across Egypt, and the Pharaoh kind of comes to the senses and says, well, what am, I've, just, I've just let go of my whole entire workforce. What, what have I done? And so he sends his whole army after him, chariots and horses and all that good stuff. And they're chasing after the Israelites. So the Israelites are walking on foot, everything they own, the armies are barreling down after them. They come to the Red Sea, and the Israelites say, this is it. We're done. We can't swim across this. We're, we're, we're going to go back and be slaves again. Um, God splits the Red Sea. The Red Sea spreads open. The Israelites walk across on dry land. I mean, this is major miracle stuff. This doesn't, this doesn't just happen kind of stuff. It's not like they found a secret passage around the Red Sea. No, they walked right through the middle of the Red Sea on dry ground. And as they got across it, the waters closed back up, swallowed the Egyptian armies that were in the middle of the sea. So the Israelites were promised a promised land flowing with milk and honey. They were promised all these beautiful things. And and as they got out into the wilderness, they began to lose sight of God. They began to get distracted by their own ideas. God was taking too long. Never mind the fact that he just freed us from centuries of slavery and split a sea in two so we could walk across it. He's taking too long. I'm tired of waiting. And so they began to do things their own way. And as a result, long story short, God said, here's the deal. Because of your lack of trust, none of you will get to see the promised land. So for 40 years, the Israelites wandered in the wilderness. For 40 years, the Israelites wandered in the wilderness. Because they weren't prepared. And they weren't preparing themselves in the wilderness. They were focused on selfishness. Self-seeking motives in the wilderness. So here's my first point today. We need to be prepared for the wilderness. Probably everybody in this room has experienced a wilderness moment. Maybe not slate. Uh, Probably everybody else in this room has experienced a wilderness moment in their life at some point. A moment where you were lost and it felt like you were completely alone and nobody was there and you didn't know how to get out of it and you didn't know how you got there. Maybe some of you feel like you're in a wilderness right now. But if you feel like you're in a good place right now, a wilderness will probably still come again in your life. A place of darkness, of trials, 
of testing, of difficulty. So for us, our challenge is to be prepared for the wilderness today. Preparing our hearts for the wilderness. Preparing our minds for the wilderness. Preparing our bodies to endure the wilderness. See, Jesus, and we can read more about Jesus' story in the wilderness in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. But in Mark's telling, it's just a couple sentences. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, and he was tempted by Satan, and he was tended to by the angels. He lived with the wild animals. In Matthew, it kind of elaborates a little bit in Matthew chapter 4, and it says that Jesus was fasting the whole time too. I mean, that kind of maybe goes without saying, but he wasn't eating or drinking. He was in the wilderness. There wasn't a lot to do or eat or drink. So he's hungry. His body was literally weakened by being in the wilderness. And Satan came to him not once, not twice, three times to tempt him with every desire that we ever have. Every sinful desire that you or I have ever experienced or thought, at the core of it, Jesus was tempted with the same core intentionality, a selfish, self-seeking motivation, looking for gratification. Satan tempted him to say, hey, you're hungry, right? And you've got God powers, right? So why don't you turn these rocks into bread so you can eat? Jesus quips back with Scripture. Satan comes and tests him again. This time, Satan is a little bit wiser to it. And so Satan himself uses Scripture and twists it. And says, why don't you throw yourself off this ledge? Because the Bible says that God will send his angels to protect you. And Jesus quips back again. Uh, The Bible also says, don't test the Lord your God. Satan comes and tempts him a third time. All these selfish motivations, all these desires that Jesus had as a man to fulfill, Jesus certainly wanted to eat, right? He was hungry. And Jesus could have done a multitude of different things to get out of that circumstance, but he sat and he endured it because he was prepared for it. He was ready for the wilderness. How was he ready for the wilderness? Well, one... He knew scripture. He knew it. He didn't have to pull out a book and look for a citation somewhere. It was all up here in his head. Now, if you're like me, this is what I rely on almost all the time for my scripture. In fact, just earlier today, I pulled up, I was looking for something and I couldn't remember what it was, so I did a Google search, where is such and such in the Bible, and it gave me the passage. We're so dependent on technology to form us and shape us, even if we're searching Scripture for it, we don't keep it and memorize it. We don't store it in our heads the way we ought to. And I'm guilty of it. Um, That's why it's really cool. If, if, If you've ever been upstairs or you have a kid who's upstairs and you know about some of the things we do upstairs every month, Every month we have a a verse. That's the verse for the month. So those kids upstairs every single month are learning a verse of Scripture. Now, do we remember everything we learned when we were kids? No, certainly not, right? But in moments of trial or testing or difficulty, 
Do we recall things that we thought we had forgotten? Absolutely. All the time. Jesus was prepared for the wilderness because he knew Scripture. And he knew it well. Here's one of the places, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Jesus was a good Jewish boy. He grew up going to Jewish school. He learned the scriptures and he learned the laws. And, and one of the most prevalent laws for the Jewish people was a prayer called the Shema. The Shema is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm going to read a little bit more than what's on the screen, but, but I'll read some of what's on the screen too. The screen starts in verse 4. I'm going to start in verse 1. This is the command, the statutes and ordinances. The Lord your God has commanded me to teach you so that you may follow them in the, in the land you are about to enter and possess there in the wilderness, waiting to go into the promised land still. Verse 2, do this so that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping all of the statutes and commands I am giving you your son and your grandsons, so that you may have a long life. Listen, Israel, and be careful to follow them, so that you may prosper and multiply greatly, because the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 4 is on the screen. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. Repeat them to your children. Now, you might think, well, that's just an admonition to, to parents to repeat Scripture to children. That's not how the Jewish people understood it. The Jewish people understood that we're all responsible for the kids amongst us, for the, the vulnerable, the little ones. And this community that we have, the ministry partners we have upstairs that teach our kids, each one of you that interacts with kids as they funnel through this place on any given Sunday, we're to repeat them to our children. Repeat the truths of God constantly. Talk about them when we sit down, when we walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. One of the, the most memorable things I have about my households growing up, and we lived in a lot of different places moving around as an Air Force kid, um, but I always remembered one thing that we had up on our wall was a, a plaque that said, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. To love you, cherish you. And then we had another one that said, um, As for me and my house, yeah, we will serve the Lord, right? Um, somebody made a lot of money to sell these off to Christians, right? Um, because they bought them and put them in all their houses. But I remember that scripture because I saw it every single day. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In fact, when we were getting married, Chris and I were getting married, um, she asked me, like all good engaged couples do, she's like, what do you want to put on the registry? And like all good males in an engaged relationship, I was like, I don't know. Whatever you want, 
because I know she's wanting to put towels and plates, and I don't care about any of that stuff. Um, the only thing, well, I think I came up with two things. One was a popcorn maker, because I love popcorn. And two was a plaque, a sign of some sort that said that, because I remembered it. We repeat them to our children. And that is how we are to be prepared for the wilderness. As you're preparing for the wilderness, you prepare your children for the wilderness. We prepare our children for the wilderness. Because the storms will come in their lives. The questions will come. The trials will come. The temptations will come. How are we preparing? How are we ready for it? The words that echo in our minds in moments of despair can be just the things the Lord uses to reassure us in our darkest moments. Jesus was not only prepared for the wilderness. He was accomplishing something in the wilderness. In the wilderness, don't wait. Prepare. Continue to prepare. We're to be prepared for the wilderness. And then in the wilderness, we are to be preparing for coming out of the wilderness. And this is probably the more challenging of the two, honestly. Because when we're in those moments of wilderness experiences, there's not a lot else that we'd rather do there's not a lot that we'd less rather do than prepare for coming out of the wilderness we just want to be out of the wilderness we don't want to think about getting ready to be out of the wilderness we just want to be out of it just done with it why does it take so long why is it so difficult why is it so hard I just want to be done with it I don't want I don't want to be grown in this process. I don't want to be shaped in this process. I don't want any of that stuff. I just want to be done with it. T- terrible things that people say to people when they're trying to be nice, right? We, we know these. We talked about these actually back in September a little bit when we talked about our mental health series. How there's things we say to people when we're being well-meaning and trying to be consoling and comforting to them, but sometimes um, it th- does the opposite of that and it just it hurts. Saying stuff like, wow, you're so strong. I could never do and deal with what you're dealing with. I don't want to be dealing with it. I don't want to be prepared for anything after this. I just want to be done with it. But in the wilderness, we are to continue to be prepared. It's not a time for passive waiting. It wasn't for Jesus and it shouldn't be for us. In the wilderness... Jesus was tempted with sin. But he never chose sin. And as a result, Jesus established himself above sin's control. Jesus established himself as a higher authority than Satan. He already had it, but we see it established here in in the scriptures. That Satan cannot control, coerce, or otherwise cause Jesus to do things that Jesus doesn't want to do. Because Jesus is God. 
And so Jesus effectively begins to cancel the control of sin on humanity. Jesus is preparing for going to the cross and ultimately canceling the curse of sin on our lives. So that now, we can be adopted into God's kingdom. We can be adopted ourselves as sons and daughters of God. And sin doesn't have to have control over us. Jesus was preparing for all of this while he was in the wilderness. Get a little vulnerable here for a minute. My wilderness experience, one of my wilderness experiences, uh, began in 2012. That's eight years ago now. Um, yeah, it's the year we got married. Uh, it's the year. It's the year I, I commissioned as an officer in the in the Illinois National Guard. Uh, it's the year we graduated college. Um, it's the year we got our first place. Um, it's the year we got our first pet. Um, a lot of great things happened that year. And yet I found myself in a wilderness I didn't anticipate and I wasn't prepared for. See, I'm a man uh, uh, that has always been pretty sure of what I am to do in the future. And I was always pretty prepared for it. Twelve years old, I experienced my call to ministry. I knew I knew. Point blank, God called me to be a pastor. Like there was not a question in my mind, and I didn't. I don't have one of the stories of a pastor who ran from it. I embraced it um, at 12 years old. Um, yeah, it's strange. I'm really weird. Um, yeah, uh, staying the obvious, um, but I embraced it. And so, from that point on, I, I began to make plans for my life. I knew that I was to be a pastor. I knew I was going to go to Olivet Nazarene University. Um, it's the only school I applied to. Um, I knew that I was going to get married after graduating. I knew that I was going to have a kid by the time I was 25. I knew that by the time I was 28, I was going to have a second kid. And I, I knew when I was 30, I would have a third kid. So TBD, nothing to announce now. <laughs> But I turned 30 on March 27th. Uh, <laughs> and so my life began to fall into the pattern that I had laid before myself. The only school I applied to was all of that. I got in. I was accepted. I started my ministry degree. I began working uh, towards that, and I began, I joined the ROTC program, began working towards my military stuff, and Met Chris there, freshman year. Um, we started to date. We got engaged. We're right on track. We're going to get married when we graduate. Everything's working out great. We got married. Um, 2012 rolled around, and, and things were going really well. I graduated, and I had a job lined up as a, as a summer youth pastor at a church that um, was in a transition period. They, they were still trying to figure out what had happened. They'd gone through some growth changes and stuff like that. And, and so the pastor was pretty upfront with me. He said, hey, Here's the deal. I can't offer you, like, a permanent position, but I'm going to offer you this one for the summer. Um, and if things go well, if things kind of work out how I'm hoping they will, then maybe it'll kind of roll into something that continues on from there. So I did that for the summer, and it felt good. Summer came to a, conclo a close, and the pastor comes up to me one day and says, essentially, um, long story short, 
we've decided that we're gonna we're gonna let you go. Um, it's nothing you've done, um, and, and, and we are actually gonna fill the position. Um, we just wanted to fill the position with somebody who grew up in the church, rather than you, um, who wasn't a part of this church until last year. Well, that stung a little bit. That kind of put me on my heels a little bit, but everything was okay. Uh, I, I was I wasn't recognizing any wilderness experience really at this point. I just that was a little confusing. That caught me off guard, and so I continued on. And 2013 rolled around, and I had now started in another church and locally there in town. And um, this pastor was hurt. He was burnt out. Uh, he was suffering um, for a lot of reasons. Um, and as a result, um, he was not able to men- mentor me um, or teach me. Um, and my, uh, my academic fervor as a, a student, and even using that word fervor kind of shows you where I was thinking. Like, I'm like, oh, I know all this stuff. Um, caused me to push back harder and and in ways that just weren't healthy. Um, And so as a result, the the church was very just toxic. It was just kind of this toxic wasteland. Um, We felt it. Um, And I was probably partly to blame for that, just the way I handled things um, and interaction with the pastor. And so we said, well, we we need to get out of here. We need to go somewhere else. This isn't working out. And so we we moved on from there. uh, October 2013. Started at my third church now. Didn't think I'd have three churches a year and a half after graduating college. But here I am, my third church. Um, And uh, I worked there for a few months and I left to go to a chaplain training for the Army for a couple months. We talked about it. We negotiated it. They knew all about what was going down. Um, and about a month into that, uh, they sent me an email and said, Hey, um, this isn't really working out for us. Uh, we think maybe we're just not ready for a youth pastor at this time. So I come back from my chaplain training, now qualified to be a chaplain candidate in the, in the Army National Guard and still about two years into my master's degree. And now we've got, uh, uh, well, not quite yet, but... Um, 2014, it was the week before Easter, Palm Sunday. Came home and I said, where are we going to go to church? Then I didn't know where I was going to go to church. And so that was the moment that, like, the wilderness that I realized where I was. It had started about a year and a half before. And I didn't pay attention. I didn't catch it. I wasn't preparing for it. I just kept acting like everything was okay and just keep pushing along and, and things will work out. And, and now here I am with a degree that costs an insane amount of money and a wife and now a son on the way. Most of my plans had worked out, but my career wasn't working out my profession that I felt called to since I was 12 years old wasn't panning out. 
And so I began to question a lot. And for that period of time, from 2014 until 2017, October 1st, 2017 is when we came here, um, there were a lot of Sundays that it was very difficult to go to church. There were some Sundays we didn't go to church because it was something I just didn't want to do. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I think probably all of us at some point have felt that. I just don't want to go to church today. Even pastors feel that way. Um, I didn't want to go to church, and we didn't. Uh, we didn't tithe during that time. Um, we didn't do a lot. Uh, well, Chris, I won't say we. I say I didn't do a lot. Um, I didn't do a lot of preparation during that time. I um, maintained my cultural assimilation to Christian culture. So I still listened to Christian music, and I'd, I'd repost the great you know, scripture passage that somebody posted on Facebook, and I would do all the, the Christian-y stuff still, right? Um, and I would say, I, I totally believe in Jesus, but I wasn't, I wasn't growing. I wasn't preparing. And so something had to change. Um, Fortunately for me, I had a a wife that was awesome, um, that continued to encourage me, that continued to pray for me and push me. Um, I had uh, the other avenue through the military chaplaincy that continued to prepare me in ways that I wasn't really anticipating for ministry. While I felt like everything wasn't working out, I was actually, something was happening over here, and I was being prepared in ways that I didn't expect. And while I felt like God must be done with me, or at least with this job, it seems like that wasn't the case. Because here I am today. There's a lot more to that story. Obviously, I I gave the abridged for time, but um, that was a very difficult time. And and I experienced all these joys. I experienced the birth of my first son. We got married. We talked about that. We got our first home. We bought our first home. Um, Wonderful, exciting moments that I was so wrapped up in the wilderness that I didn't reflect and enjoy probably as much as I could have or should have in all of those moments. Because I was so consumed by the wilderness. I wasn't focused on what God was going to have me to do after the wilderness, where He was taking me. And maybe that's the point of this lesson is that you might feel like you're stuck and you're in a place that God has not moved in a long, 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 long time. And you've just been there. God's not done. He's not done with you. He's not done with your story. He's not done with His story through you. God is continuing to work. Even when we don't recognize it. So in in the wilderness... 
We lean in. We press in. Even when it's difficult, even when it's hard, even when we don't want to. I had a lot of good reasons for not wanting to go to church on Sunday mornings when I was in the wilderness. I had a lot of good reasons not to tithe when we were in the wilderness. Because, let's face it, we didn't always have enough money to pay for the things we needed to pay for, let alone giving some to the church. How am I going to do all this? And so my lack of, of trust in God was evident in my time in the wilderness because I was so distant mentally from Him that the idea of trusting Him was terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. But what we need to do is we need to lean in in the wilderness. Press in hard and allow God to work through us. We're getting close to the end here. If you'll turn to Genesis uh, 32 for me. starting in verse 24, but this is one of my favorite passages, favorite stories in Scripture. And it might seem like a weird one. I don't hear people often say this is their favorite passage of Scripture, but for me it resonates with my life um, in in deep ways. And so um, Genesis chapter 32, verse 24, says, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he had he could not defeat him. He struck Jacob's hip socket as they wrestled, and he dislocated his hip. And then he said to Jacob, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked Jacob. He replied, Your name will no longer be Jacob. He said, It will be Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he answered, why do you ask my name? And he blessed him there. Jacob's story, wrestling with God. Jacob was locked with God all night long, wrestling with him. Could not come to peace. And God said, let me go. You're done. Jacob said, no, I can't let go. Even after his hip was dislocated. Anybody dislocated a hip before? It, I'm sure it doesn't feel good. I've never done it. But I'm sure that it doesn't feel good. It doesn't sound like it feels good. With his hip dislocated, Jacob said, No, I will not let you go. Because I need you to bless me. That's what I mean by leaning in. In those moments of trial and frustration and pain and suffering, we lean in and we latch on. It wasn't that God was letting go of Jacob. God was calling Jacob to lean in, to trust him, to dig deeper. So Jacob did. But the sermon's title um, on your bulletin there is, is Out of the Wilderness, right? And we spent a lot of time talking about being in the wilderness. So how do we move out of the wilderness? What do we do when we get out of the wilderness? And we can see a picture in Jesus of what it is we are to do when we get out of the wilderness. 
going back to Mark chapter 1. What you do in the wilderness prepares you for being out of the wilderness. And here's where it happened for Jesus. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. They went into Capernaum, and right away he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. They were astonished at his teaching, because he was teaching them as one who had authority, and not like the scribes. Just then a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue. He cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him and said, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit threw him into convulsions and shouted with a loud voice and came out of him. They were all amazed. And so they began to ask each other, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. At once, the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. If you read the rest of Mark 1, or even if you've got your Bible there and you look at the, the headers, the bold headings of the sections in there, you'll see that what Jesus does immediately after coming out of the wilderness is he goes and he garners his supporters. He gets Simon and Andrew, James and John, and then he goes and he cleans an un unclean spirit. And then he prays. And then he heals a man with leprosy. And then he drives out more demons. And so Jesus' focus, as soon as he gets out of the wilderness, is to make things right in the world around him. To fix the broken stuff. To love people. To care for others. To heal and to treat and to cleanse and to purify. Jesus didn't waste any time. As soon as he rolled out of the wilderness, it was on to healing and cleansing. Verse 27, it's on your screen there. It says that the crowds, they were all amazed. And so they began to ask each other, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Jesus' focus right after the wilderness was a lot less on sinning of do's and don'ts, things you should do, things you shouldn't do. He wasn't telling people, describing things for him, explaining this is, this is the good way you're supposed to live. No, what he did is he said, I'm going to go love people. And so Jesus went and loved people. And he cared for people. He cleaned. He fixed. He restored. All that stuff that Jesus was doing in the wilderness, that temptation, that struggle with, with the idea of, I could sin, but I'm choosing not to, was because Jesus knew what he needed to do was he needed to come out of here so that he could heal people. Because as Jesus was in the wilderness, he was thinking of you and he was thinking of me. How much we needed him. How much we relied on him to be victorious. We sang about the victory earlier today. Scripture doesn't necessarily tell us how much time had passed in, in Mark's gospel here. It doesn't say it was the next day or two days or whatever. But we see, based on what was recorded, that what was important was these moments. These are the next things it writes about. Whether it took Jesus two days or three days to get there or whatever, we see that Jesus prioritized healing and fixing the brokenness 
and loving people. Jesus' mission is the same mission that he calls us to. Jesus' mission is our mission. It's a very simple mission. Love others. Right? Walpock Nan's mission statement is love people, loving people to Jesus. Why is that our mission statement? Because that's what Jesus did. Everywhere he went. In every circumstance. And so whether you are preparing for the wilderness, or you're in the wilderness and trying to prepare to be out of the wilderness, or you're out of the wilderness, it's all focused on how can I love other people? How can I show God's love to others who are suffering, to others who are hurting? How can I best help bring healing and restoration to a broken and fallen world? None of us are surprised by how broken the world is. Watch the nightly news for three minutes and you'll see how awful the world is. It's the world we live in. It's the result of original sin that entered through the garden, entered through Adam and Eve. And Jesus came so that that wouldn't be the last word on our lives. Jesus came to live a sinless life so that he could die on the cross, so that he could rise back to life, so that we, although still living in a world that has sin all around us, can speak to and can bring in the kingdom of God by loving people, by caring for others, by knowing God better, we can love others better. So the question is, how are you being prepared? Whatever stage you find yourself at right now, how are you being prepared? Are you in the wilderness? What are you doing? Are you leaning into God? Are you surrounding yourself with other people who will encourage you and challenge you and keep you moving forward? If not, I'm sure there are some people that would love to come around you, care for you, love you, pray for you, keep you moving forward. Are you out of the wilderness? But you're just kind of waiting for the next thing. Just kind of idle. Maybe it's time to lean in. Get to work. Jesus didn't waste a lot of time. We shouldn't waste a lot of time either. Love other people. Care for them. Are you trusting God beyond yourself? That was that was my wilderness. It was almost completely boiled down to whether or not I trusted God and His plans more than my plans. That was hard. It was difficult. But are you trusting God beyond your plans? In the scariness of the wilderness, we are prepared to come out of the wilderness if we're trusting in God. And if we're trusting in God, and God is living in us, and God is working through us, and God is shaping us, then we get to help usher in the kingdom of God this world that so desperately needs it.
So whether you're preparing for the wilderness, you're in the wilderness, or you're out of the wilderness, the call is the same. Love other people to Jesus. And continue to lean in to God and grow and be challenged. Will you stand? Gracious Heavenly Father, um, we, we come before you today, God, with a, a simple challenge, but a challenging challenge nonetheless. The words are, are small and easy to remember, but when it gets down to it, God, the reality is it's very difficult to always love other people. There's a lot of good reasons not to do that. And God, when it comes down to it, it's very difficult to trust you beyond our own plans and our own ideas. But God, you promised that your plans for us are good. Your plans are to to prosper us, not to harm us. So God, I, I pray for everyone in this room today, wherever they're at, and their journeys through and out of wildernesses. Wherever they're at in their relationship with you, wherever you're challenging them, wherever your spirit is calling them to love you deeper and to be more committed to you. God, I pray and I ask that we be bold to lean into you like Jacob. And we say, I'm not letting go until you bless me. I'm not letting go because you're all I have to hold on to. Jesus, we love you. We ask very simply that you just continue to make us more like you today than we were like you yesterday so that we can be your instruments of peace and comfort for the world that so desperately needs it. We ask this all in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. May you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And will you love your neighbor as yourself? We'll see you later. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope you are moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you and that you are moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community and to love people to Jesus.